I'm Tia. And this is the Journey to Transformation. Hi. Hi, everyone. You look like you've had a bit of sun. Do I? Look like I've been outside for a whole weekend. It does. Oh. Well, actually, that could be because this weekend we were at Camp Quirky. Camp Quirky. Camp Quirky 2022. The largest handmade camper van festival. In the UK or in the world? In the universe. Wow. Yeah. So, so we were there in Northamptonshire, just a couple of hours drive north of London. We were the official podcast hosts for what? the entire festival. Whoop, whoop. Yes, I know you're like, well, what does that actually mean? Um, we had this beautiful outdoor space. We got some beautiful furniture, uh, made it feel very homely. I had sort of a bit of a friend's vibe going on. Mm. Um, our beautiful mics on the chairs and we had a big banner that said Journey to Transformation in a sea of hundreds and thousands of other vans that had made their way to this festival. Hundreds of thousands sounds like a bit of an exaggeration. Hundreds of thousands. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know the exact number. I think there was maybe like 2,000 plus plus people there. Dear, dear listeners, you may be wondering, what does Journey to Transformation have to do with camper vans? And the answer is... A lot. Oh, I was going to say not much. That we do our recording in camper vans. Actually... You know, I have to say that in, in the time that we spent there, I think maybe there's actually more in common with the work that we do and the stuff that we talk about in the podcast than I originally thought. So we got invited to do the podcast because the organizers, shout out to Camp Quirky organizers, we let them know that we were coming because we were already getting very excited about Camp Quirky because, you know, it's a festival, it's a summertime. And they reached out and said, tell us a little bit more about your podcast. Fantastic. It's great. Yeah, very exciting. We gave them some themes that we are interested in and we felt that they would benefit from, didn't we? Diversity, inclusion, sustainability, all of these things are things that me and Tia cover a lot in the journey transformation. And we also saw that Camp Quirky was had a diversity tent and was also Diversify Van Life. Right. And and also talking about sustainability. So we felt there was definitely some thematic crossover we could bring. If there's anything that Laura and I do best, it's making it work. <laughs> if what we do don't we need? know, we'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a really great opportunity, I think, for us to get to know van life in a different way. I mean, as somebody who's been van lifing for over a year now, full-time van lifing, which is probably a thing that, you know, people don't immediately know about me. So welcome to this bit of information. I have always felt a little bit disconnected from van culture. I, that's interesting. Why? Because I don't really know what it is. Like I just kind of like, I'm naturally quite a solitary creature anyways, which may be mm. a bit shocking because of She's how you're chatting. Yes. Because of how you're listening to me <laughs> tell you that I'm a solitary creature. You know, I remember you, we went on a trip to Brighton, Beach Town, and we were just sort of like chatting, having a little chat and another van life person came up and was like, hey, what's up? And I was immediately like, what do you want? To shut it down. I was <laughs> I was not having it. I was very un, un, uncultured in the ways of the van life. Um, but now I, I get it. I get it. It's just like good vibes only. Yeah, really. <laughs> and, and I think... So I went to this Camp Quirky, we, we were the podcast hosts, great, but I went with very little expectation, I think, of, you know, what was about to happen and who we were about to meet. Uh, I don't own a van, so there's also a degree of like, okay, so what is this world? What's there? What You're we- a home dweller. Yeah. I'm That's a- what we call you. A home dweller. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I went there with not having, you know, expectations not really just with an idea of of what I was about to experience. 
And and I came away three or four days later feeling amazed and humbled and just very enlightened in, in a lot of different ways. And and we can talk a little bit more about, you know, maybe why that is. But I think the very nature of podcasting, wherever you're doing it, is you're you're discovering stories and you're talking to people and you're unpacking experiences. And so you start to kind of just nestle into some really interesting people. And so I think that kind of storytelling life and van life culture and van life communities is apparently untapped. <laughs> <laughs> or at least our podcast hasn't tapped fully into it yet. Yeah, exactly. Well, now we're making our foray into the uh, van life crossover because we did see some surprising similarities. Yes. Should we dive into those now? Absolutely. Cool. The diversity and inclusion element was probably the strongest bit because there seemed to be quite a bit of like conscious effort to focus on that. You know, me and Tia made quite a lot of observations through the weekend around... Van life so white. Right. So the lack of diversity in a lot of ways. So, you know, very much like what we've been discussing in previous episodes, there's a conscious effort to try and diversify who partakes in and has access to van life. I think to clarify, there was a conscious effort by the organizers to bring more diversity to van life. The cynic in me is like, yeah, of course it's good to diversify because it means you get more bodies buying tickets, right? But actually I came away with it feeling like it was a genuine effort to really bring this community, bring van life culture to everybody because there's the, you know, fundamental thing that is kind of holding all of van life together. And that's the, you know, love of outdoors, love of being mobile, love of containers. Every shape and size. Every shape and size. You know, I was really heartened by that because I was fully prepared. You know, you know, I love an awkward moment and you know, I love to like pull things apart, pick things apart and look for, you know, the deep, dark, dirty bits of it. I don't know what that says about me, but, but yeah, I came away feeling like, okay, yeah, they're really trying. And so I guess one of the things that, that is the kind of shocking similarity for me is how you do that is the barriers to entry are massively high. And this is a conversation that we had with one of the organizers, Lindsay, stay tuned for her full interview. And it was interesting because the conversation that we were having was very much around, this is the whitest thing I've ever been to. How do you get more black, brown faces into a space like this when already in and of itself, it's quite exclusive, you know, vans ain't cheap. Especially when we look at, you know, van life culture on Instagram, like there's some pretty like sexy vans on there. Yeah. Van life culture on Instagram is, is quite, what's the word? Uh, Expensive? Expensive. (laughs) um, You know, it shows you a side of van life that doesn't always match reality, I suppose. Yeah, I think that's right. And so it's the thing I think we're like a lot of organizations are wrestling with is, you know, how do you reduce the barriers to access? How do you increase participation? What are the things that you consider and what are the things that you think about? And for me, I don't think we left that conversation with anybody having any answers. We thought about some solutions, some, for, you know, as Lindsay put it, you know, 150 first steps. And some of those things are about how do you make it more affordable for people? Because if you're thinking about, you know, we have a van 
we've got petrol prices, we've got to get there. You know, there's all of these things that kind of get in the way. Having the time, like it's such a privilege to have this time Mm. to be able to do something like that. We were working on projects, we were working on the podcast as well, but still being able to take the time off to go and do that. There's just a lot of barriers to getting into van life. Yeah, and I I suppose it depends whether, you know, that van life is for a hobby on the weekends versus you're going to live in it full time, right? I mean, both, obviously the hobby element has a lot of, you know, you have to have a lot of time and privilege and money to be able to do that outside of your day job or your, whatever your normal life is. And then to live in it full time, then the cost of having the entire thing available. On on the other side of it, one of the interesting stories that we heard was about people getting into van life because it's much more affordable than getting flat. And that was about, you know, it wasn't a van with all the bells and whistles. It was something that was comfortable to live in, could get them around, live in that nomadic life. So I do think in as much as I think there are barriers to having a van and I live those barriers just from some practical bits around like my vadmin. I also think that maybe there are some ways that people can, you know, have a little bit of a taste of van life without it necessarily breaking the bank. And I think some of the ways that it can be more affordable are things that, that I've seen when I've been on campsites before, which are people in a rental car, they throw an air mattress in the back and it's just about being outside. Rental car life? Rental van life? Definitely. And I think that kind of feeds in a little bit to what I think is a similarity, less a shocking similarity, but that there's a lifestyle in it, right? Like Mm. it's a freedom. It's I want to be off the grid. It's I want to be able to park and travel wherever I want. Mm. And to some extent, I feel that is also in me from being a humanitarian or working in the humanitarian sector. And in others I've met that kind of want to be a bit free, a bit off the grid, maybe to more extremities. But I think that that love of travel and that want to be a little bit more, you know, not attached to state, society, whatever, I see those kind of similarities too. And then I think leaning into that a bit more, this idea of kind of finding a group of like-minded people people. And I know that that is uh, applicable to many different kinds of groups. If you're into football or sports or whatever, you know, van life also really pushed or peaked that for me in terms of, you know, this might not be your core interest or the core part of you, but you know, you can connect to everyone about your van and you start to find people, like-minded people, even just for a weekend, even just, you know, when you're passing by in Brighton, as you said before, or whatever. And so it's kind of open for me, like a, another another door of what like-minded, meeting like-minded people can look like, which I think, you know, in the humanitarian sector and meeting like-minded people in, you know, conflict zones or whatever is also something that comes up quite strongly. Meeting like-minded people in conflict zones. <laughs> That's probably another like dark, deep episode somewhere. <laughs> and I think, you know, sort of part of that and another shocking similarity, one thing that Tia, you mentioned a lot, something you wanted to unpack and uncover was this idea of a van life movement. And, you know, we saw a lot of people come together and have similar ideas about how van life culture should be moving and changing towards sustainability or towards diversity. And there's almost a, a movement and a push behind that. And lots of people talk to us about how van life culture has changed, you know, how it's gone from just, you know, being a lot less people, um, how maybe vans used to be perhaps less 
majestic back in the day. Majestic. But all of these things are, you know, are, are growing and it's kind of becoming a much bigger thing. People want to get on board with something that, you know, feels like a bigger collective. I think there's something that not-for-profits can really learn about this movement building piece, right? Because we work with clients who talk a lot about how they feel that sustainability is unlocked through movement building. At the end of the day, there's only so many, you know, the the donor universe is gonna is gonna dry up. It's gonna become more competitive. So how do initiatives, thematic areas, how do ambitions get realized in a more sustainable way? And that's through building movements, building community-based movements, empowering communities to take this work forward and decentralizing, decentering the international non-governmental organization. So I think there's something that's really interesting here about van life, van culture and movement building and not-for-profits, which is probably just a weird connection to be made to be fair um <laughs> what's the um what's the end goal of a van life movement i think there's probably some subtle stuff in there that is about making the world a more hospitable place <laughs> for vans more friendly and warm yeah exactly you know because there's there are there are van related complaints that people have you know one that i struggle with is just it's nearly impossible to find water to fill up thankfully i have you and i you know, throw a 50 meter hose <laughs> down your bathroom window uh, to fill up the van. You know, there's things like that that are challenging. So I know that the, within van life communities, there's, you know, lobbying to make it more comfortable, friendly, hospitable towards vans. We were in France and it was amazing. It, all of the services that you needed were available at a gas station, at a service station. You could do everything that you need to keep your van nice and happy. Um, <laughs> I mean, governments ought to watch out. It's a lot of people that they were going to piss off, really, isn't it? Like <laughs> yeah. When they see how many people are at that event and how many people are on like van Facebook pages, it's it's a significant amount of people. Yeah. So I'd say, you know, there's a movement, you know, <laughs> they're, they're doing some lobbying, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the conversations we we had today was about IKEA should be having a, a, a concept around vans. Like, oh, you know. How amazing would that be? Go and in and, and see I it. had that idea too. <laughs> I, had, I said it to you. Yes, I was like, indeed. how amazing would it I be? I can confirm. Can confirm. How amazing would it be if you like walked into an IKEA and there was just a camper van in there and it was like all so of the stuff cool. that fits in there? It'd oh be my amazing. Gosh. Um, I would like. I think I'd be inclined to buy one. Yeah. I'd be like, yep, yeah, I'll have it all. Yeah. Package it over to me, Ikea. Exactly. And so the conversation we had um, with Brownbird and Company, which is um, an amazing two-woman team converter. They're amazing. They're fantastic. Stay tuned for our uh, podcast episode with them. But they were also talking about how they had been in touch with Ikea and it had gone all the way to head office. <laughs> um, and then unfortunately, COVID fucked everything up and now we don't know. Time to try again. Yeah. Please do. Laura and Jackie, get in touch with Ikea <laughs> and let me know how it goes. <laughs> I, mean, I think the other thing I really like about this movement idea is I got the impression that people were aware they're big, they're part of a bigger system or, or process. So yeah. around like the recycling, the sustainability, like everyone in van culture or, or van life culture seemed to be very much respectful of that hmm. and aware that, you know, they are part of looking after the planet because, you know, they come to these festivals, they go to places and they leave places. Right. And so there's a real kind of acknowledgement that van life community wants to be 
aware of you know how they're approaching things in that way yeah. having said that there is yeah. the yeah i know i know i know but my point here is that do you like, want to finish that thought so that people are on the same page with us yes i know i know was what was my response to a thought around you know we're all in diesel and petrol run vehicles essentially (laughs) so you know until there's electric vans and everyone has an electric point to charge up a van that's probably not going to change that is the barrier to entry for me because i'd very happily get the electron the elect the electronic the electric version of this van except i just think i'd get stuck (laughs) and i i can't push this thing by myself yeah, I mean, it's true, isn't it? There's... And actually, somebody that we spoke to who has been doing a lot of research on electric vehicles was telling us that a lot of the roadside assistants, they can't pick up. They actually can't pick up electric vehicles. Like, yeah. They can't do anything with them because they just like sit there and die. I think they said there's like, you know, 10 or 15% of their workforce knows how to deal with electric cars. Crazy. Yeah, really crazy. So yeah, the van community has got some way to go, really. On that exactly. side of things. Yeah. But but then there's like, you know, legislation, infrastructure, all of that stuff has to move with it as well. Yeah. But, you know, it's an interesting conversation around like as we get to, what is it, 2030, that there's no more combustion vehicles in production mm. or something they're like not, that. They're not producing the engines or something. Yeah. Yeah. What happens? Yeah. What's what happens to van life culture? What's going to, what's going to happen with the vans? Yeah. I mean... It, it's curious, isn't it? When we were sitting and watching all the vans come in, seeing some really old ones, like really oh, old yeah. buses. I don't know, old ambulances, old minibuses, very old VW style. Yeah. You know, and a lot of these were very quirky and fun and people have made them, them homes and. Yeah. And they, they get uh, three miles to the gallon. <laughs> but there's um a, possibly also a generational piece in there too. Like This is an interesting dynamic. I feel like there was a time where if you lived in your car, something had gone wrong. Yeah. And everyone was like, what the <laughs> hell are you doing? <laughs> It was like too weird and too funky and like the the caravan clubs were like this weird thing for people. Very exclusive. Well, not exclusive, but people just didn't, you know, my grandparents lived on a caravan park when they retired. So like, you know, it just was never a thing that was like for young people to be living in vehicles unless like you'd fucked something up pretty royally in your life. But now it's become this sort of symbol of like freedom and exploration and adventure and like Get a camper van. Somebody made it cool on Instagram. Somebody made it fucking cool on Instagram. They've like gentrified it. And yes. now it's, yes. it's the gentrification of the van. A hundred percent. And also people realized there was money in it. Yeah. Right. People are willing to pay a lot of money for a very nice looking van. But people are also willing to pay a lot of money for a, like a crazy wild looking van two. Yeah, yeah. Which I'm also here for. <laughs> I mean, the horse boxes are very cool. You're obsessed with horse boxes? <laughs> They're just really cool and different. I think there was a shift at some point where vans, camper vans, mobile living, mobile homing became sexy. But the people who have already been mobile homing, I wonder if they're just like the actual what the fuck is happening? 
because now there's a bunch of Gen Z millennials. I'm a millennial. You're a millennial. Sorry, everyone. Doing selfies, making the fucking TikToks. I wonder if they're just what is going on. And so I wonder if like this kind of this mixing of different people. But I wonder if this kind of intergenerational convergence, what that means, how people look at each other, how mm. people are interacting. I mean, I had a few stories over the weekend about how, dare I say, older van lifers felt slighted <laughs> by younger van lifers not understanding kind of van life etiquette, if you like, or understanding, you know, this is how it should be. Mm. Um, and then the impact on that of the van life community as a whole, you know, mm. we spoke to, or at least I did, a fair few van lifers who'd spent decades in Australia or New Zealand, just, you know, in their van. And that's how they first got into it with their yeah. kids. You know, it's harder to imagine that now too. So in one way, van life seems to be expanding, but in another, the environment in which it operates is, ex- is what's the word for going in? Contracting. Contracting. <laughs> um, because it's much harder to just get on the road, go to Australia and do whatever you want, all sorts of things, you know, that the, an enormous body of water. Yeah. Um, you know, facilities, several are, bodies of water. <laughs> facilities are less available now. Governments are not as open to where you can park all of the above, really. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of a bit of both, I think. I have some concerns about the growth of the digital nomad. Oh, that's interesting. As someone who may themselves be considered a digital nomad. (laughs) You are. We met um, a lovely, lovely couple who was like, you should come to Brighton. There's just vans everywhere. They're just all over the place. It's great. All you need is like really good internet because that's what I do in my job. And I was just like, whoa, like this is the, the time for the digital nomad is now because we've worked out that you know, people don't need to physically go into their jobs. Not everyone needs to do that. Companies are realizing it might be a little tiny bit cheaper for them to not have people in the office all the time. People are realizing that they don't want to go into the office all the time or ever. And so in a world where now you don't have to go anywhere, your physical body can be wherever you want it to be. There is a privilege in being able to do that. But I think people are now like, I just, I don't know. I think like pandemic meets new working world. People are just like, I just want to be free now. Like I'm, I just want to be a free person. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I've got to say a few years ago, even when I, I think it was during COVID-19 when I first stepped into this kind of digital nomad, I didn't need to be in an office role. It was exciting and it felt a bit kind of cool and a bit like, yeah, yeah, that's me. <laughs> I'm the one that just needs an internet connection. Are you an influencer? I can be in a cafe. I can go to a pub. I can do whatever I want with my work and my meetings. I mean, it doesn't always work like that. You get out of bed and you're like, so what's the day? But, you know, like there is that ambition and excitement around it, I think. And maybe it's something about the word no mad. I don't know. So now I have to wonder if all the humanitarians that now can't or shouldn't travel internationally are now going to buy vans and travel in the UK? (laughs) No, because I just want this to be my thing. (laughs) I mean, they also want freedom, like me. So anyway, uh, sorry, not plugging that at all anyway. Don't plug it. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's hard to find water. (laughs) (laughs) Really hard. We've got some theories around the collision of old versus young. Do you think that's, yeah, I mean, is that a shocking similarity? We haven't really talked about that. A bit of power in there. I think it's a shocking... the etiquette? It's less who holds the etiquette, but who establishes the culture, Mm. right? Who decides, like who institutionalizes van life culture? And I think we have the same questions in organizations. It's like, why is your organization like this? It's like this because the... You've got some white man who's been there 
for 40 years and every person he's hired has been people like him and every person they've hired have been like people like them. Yeah. I just think it's how like cultures are built in these little communities and these little pockets of people. Because I actually think TikTok, Gen Z, millennials do have the kind of influence behind it for new people anyway. Because like, there's so many videos on TikTok. I will go with you to a certain extent, but those are videos of like how to and like looking at things and like check out, here's my big reveal of my van. Yeah. And to a certain extent, yes, I feel that influences culture because it establishes this precedent that like I'm on TikTok, people watch my TikTokery and it's because my van looks like this and this is how I get views. And so that creates this expectation that your van needs to look like this, be like, it's all the same shit about like body image and fucking advertisements and stuff like that. Like you can only be this if you, you know, you'll be happy if your van looks like this. Like it's all that same bullshit. There probably is a certain extent to which they are influencing culture because if the culture becomes more about these sort of cookie cutter ideas of like van life and Mm. there's an aesthetic that gets built into the system, then people who are engaged in this particular brand of TikTokery then perhaps will reinforce that to a certain extent. Yeah, because I mean, I'm not entirely sure that boomers are TikTokering about their stuff. I'm not. So I can't imagine. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm just getting to 40. So like, I can't imagine that anybody older, like, you know, I asked you the other day what the difference was between, it wasn't the other day, it was this morning. See, my memory's gone. I was asking you the difference between a story and a reel on Instagram. So (laughs) there we go. So I do think that there's probably something about like culture there and who decides what the culture is. But people who are influencing the space are people who are using social media to influence the space. When I go to campsites, I don't interact with anybody except when we're all shuffling along in our little shower outfits, flip-flops, trying to go to the bathroom. Like that, you don't really interact with people. It's not like you go to a campsite and everybody's like, all together, hey, like I don't really have that experience in the camper van situation because you're all contained in your little things. Like it's just these little... So it's the festival that's the catalyst for some of this. I think it's the festival that brings people together and opens people up more because the whole idea around this festival is that they give you these cards that's like come in and have a look and then the the opposite of that which is like fuck off don't come in here. Yeah so you can snoop in everyone's van as long as they're you know willing to show you around. So there is very much like a Hi, I'm open. Look at everything about me. It's very open, huh? Yeah, well, because you want to show off what you've got. It's like Instagram, but in real life. <laughs> it's, if you don't know how to use Instagram or you don't want to, yeah. then like this is the way to do it. You open your doors up and like, there's very much a like, it's festival vibes, right? Because you're, yeah, you yeah. Know. But I don't, here's the thing is like, I'm not entirely sure why you don't have festival vibes in a campsite. Well, because there's not like, Lines of food stalls or dance workshops or a DJ, right? We've covered quite a few shocking similarities. I think the question of who creates culture is a really interesting one for me and who decides what that culture looks like and how it's built and how it's established. I just don't know in what environment you would be able to do that and be able to set the tone around culture unless you're at a festival. Because you don't interact with people in the same so way. What, so what are we saying? That van life culture is only ex- in existence at a festival? No, not that it's only in existence, but it's like charged up when people gather together. Yeah, yeah definitely. 
Did, did you have any big takeaways from this weekend? Yeah, for me, the biggest takeaway was just perhaps not diversity in terms of ethnicity or race, but diversity in terms of people's backgrounds and stories and what brought them to the festival. And heights. And heights and ages. Hair colour. Hair colour, kind of van. Species. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, the dogs were amazing, by the, the way. The dogs were fantastic. Um, so I think um, for me, just uncovering some like really cool and interesting stories was just absolutely fascinating and also people's willingness to share I think was amazing you know there wasn't kind of any barrier to having that kind of conversation you know people sat down and were like yeah here's my story here's what I want to share with you and so I I think that level of openness was maybe in parallel to how open people are to you walking around their van but was really nice those those are kind of the key takeaways in terms of like what I hadn't, I suppose, totally anticipated. And then we went to a couple of talks. One was called Black Can Swim. One was on like black feminism. And, you know, these were just, I guess, interesting talks to have in the backdrop of van life and see who did and didn't attend. And, you know, I almost got that kind of anthropological ethnographic feeling of what's going on here, who's attending, who's coming in, who's listening and observing those spaces against the backdrop of van life culture and against the backdrop of a very white van life culture, sowing the seeds of what's next potentially. But Anyway, some of those for me were key takeaways. Yeah, I think there's an interesting reflection there on these concerted efforts that the organizers had made to have a program that's got diversity within the panelists or the speakers. You know, we had an interesting conversation with one of the organizers about the extent to which, you know, these types of topics are appealing to this audience because we went to the black hand swim thing and there was a real big question there about whether or not all these white people would understand even what that meant because that was just the title there was nothing else there was no you know colon yada 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 it was a fairly small audience great speaker winnie amazing open water swimmer told the story of um growing up in congo and this sort of like fear of the water this the mythology around the water don't go in there not a cool place. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, I guess, to some extent, unexpected in the fan life space, but also really, really interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Um, and I think, as you said, whilst there might have been a massive group of people there, again, who was interested in that or not, but there was a meaningful, or at least people were trying to have a meaningful conversation around some of the topics that she was bringing up, you know, in terms of what are the barriers to black people swimming? Where have they come from? How does that manifest in the UK and so on? And so maybe me and Tia being the sort of analytical people that we are, wanted to take that a little bit deeper in some ways. Yeah. Fascinating to, to have something like that there, I think. Yeah, I thought it was fascinating. I just, I do think it probably needed a bit of a catfish because there's a... Ooh, why? I think if you want people to attend something where if I'm at, if I'm at a festival and there's stuff like, you know, 50 best ways to convert your van in under a month or whatever. I mean, I'm there because I'm at, you know, the largest homemade camper van festival. I'm there because it's like related to that thing. So you know why people are there. You know that the demographic is vast majority white I counted all the black and brown people basically on my, yeah, well, not even daily, but just, I could count them on my hands. Right. And so I think there's probably going to be a need to have a captivating title that draws people in and makes them feel that it's something that they 
would be interested in. So I do think it needs a cute in this instance, I'm, you know, I'm a moral particularist. So in this instance, I think there probably needed to be a catfish here, which I kind of struggle with that though, because I understand the reason why, and I understand you want to get people into this session, but it does feel like a bit of a backward step for me, like hiding what, you know, these conversations are about. I mean, ultimately you want people to go because yeah, they feel like it's relevant to them. I don't know if it's less about the catfishing and more about, you know, relating it more back to van life in some way. But I, I, I know exactly what you're saying and I know why catfishing is important to get people in the, well, not important, but is a way that could get people in the room. But there's just something that feels like it's going backwards a little bit for me. Yeah. Well, anytime you're interacting with white people, you have to go backwards a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I do think that it may have worked with the other one. So there was another session where it was titled Black Feminism and like nature, radical therapy in nature or something like that. And um, one of the organizers had this same reflection around Black Can Swim and decided to remove and spoke to the the speaker about it as well. Evie, who is fantastic from Peaks of Color. And And spoke to them about saying, you know, actually, if we take this off, I think that that would have been a smaller crowd if the title was just Black Feminism. Yeah, you're you're probably right. I mean, we'll never know. (laughs) But there is definitely when you were looking at sort of two tents, that tent was a smaller crowd looking across to the left is a massive, I don't know, electricity voltage or insulation. (laughs) Yeah. And there's just like, like, you know, 100 people there at least. So so the starkness of that was definitely very evident. Mm. And I think I I did in the second one, actually, when we sat down and I saw, yeah, there's a few people there, but had there been less, I think I would have felt really embarrassed. Mm. And I think I did start to feel a little bit embarrassed about it. Why? I don't know. And I don't know if it's because I... I expect better of white people. Oh, Lauren. You know, but it's just like... When will you learn? I know. <laughs> like, like maybe I just was... I think maybe I felt embarrassed just because of the starkness of it. Mm. You know, a hundred people at a a white man chatting about insulation. It just felt really stark and really stark on where people, what people think is important and what they prioritize. And I think people were not making those conscious choices. Like when somebody said, I'm going to go to this 12 volt session or this insulation session, they weren't necessarily saying this, but not black can swim, like in their minds, because, you know, they were, uh, perhaps scheduling wise pitted against each other. Yeah. And I think somebody did say to us at some point, you know, maybe not having, I said that uh, you, <laughs> you know, not having that session, but having that so starkly put against really popular sessions, mm. you know, maybe a, a way to think about that more deeply next time. But I still think that if people, even though they didn't consciously make that decision, this and not black can swim, there was still a subconscious decision in when they looked across that schedule and what they chose to attend or not. I look at it with a bit more generosity, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, okay. <laughs> because it's, a, it's, it's an event about camper vans. If there's one session that's about discussing the complicated issues around Black people and their relationship to the water, if there's that and one about me really wanting to work out how to insulate my van. Do you see what I mean? Like there's one thing that is about like a social piece that may not resonate with me. And there's one about a practical piece that definitely resonates with me. So I think the piece about like pitting them against each other is a really important conversation to have. I'm not so certain that I would have 
I wouldn't have made that choice. Like I made it, I made a conscious effort to go to Black Can Swim in part because I was curious about what the white people would do. It was a test. <laughs> it failed. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know that I would fault people for that choice because of the way that the schedule was set up. I don't know. I, I look at it with a slightly more generous lens. Hey, folks. We had to leave it there. Lauren, who is a wildly competitive netball player, realized the time and had to dash off. But subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast so you can hear the rest of the interviews that we had from Camp Quirky. We spoke to Evie from Peaks of Color about what it looks like for black and brown people to experience the therapeutic benefits of being out in nature. Lindsay, HBIC of Quirky Campers. If you don't know what HBIC is, consult your local urban dictionary. We spoke to an amazing business owner who donates profits from that business through the lens of reparations. We just spoke to a number of amazing, amazing people for our regular regular Journey to Transformation listeners. We hope this was interesting, as interesting as we found it. And we want to thank everybody who was there at Camp Quirky. For our new van life listeners, welcome. We hope you like Journey to Transformation. Right, that's it. I'm Tia. This has been the Journey to Transformation. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Journey to Transformation. Leave us a five-star rating and a written review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Journey to Transformation is written and edited by us, Tia Rogers and Lauren Burrows. Our music comes from Prowse Canal.